Happy Easter, everybody. I'm so glad you could join Sagebrush for our Easter celebration. Let me start off by asking you a question. Just out of curiosity, how many of you here watching me love cats? Just put your hand up in your living room, wherever you're watching me from. Just kind of put your hand up. How many of you love cats? Let me see. Is there anybody, anybody at all? No, don't be shy. Don't be afraid to any, anybody, any. Okay, let me ask this. How many women here love cats? Any women love cats? I've never understood why women love cats. Think about it. Cats are independent. They don't listen. They don't come in when you call them. They like to stay out all night. Then they come home and they expect to be fed. And then they want to be left alone and they want to sleep. In other words, every quality that women hate in a man, they love in a cat. Women love cats. Now, men say that they love cats. How many men here would say, you know, I love cats? Oh, yeah, yeah, whatever. Men say they love cats, and then when their wife isn't looking, men kick cats. That's what really happens. One of my favorite stories is about two guys named Arnold and Lee. They were going door to door, inviting people to come to church. When they knocked on the door of this one woman who wasn't happy at all to see them, she told them in no uncertain terms that she didn't want to hear their message, and she slammed the door in their faces. Well, to her surprise, the door didn't close. In fact, it bounced back open. Well, this time she grabbed that door and she put her back into it and she slammed that door again. And the same result, the door bounced back open. Well, convinced that these rude young men were sticking their foot in the door, she reared back one more time to give it a slam that would teach them a lesson when Arnold said, ma'am, before you do that again, you might want to move your cat. Friends, there's a big difference between dogs and cats, isn't there? A dog says, you love me, you feed me, you shelter me, you care for me. You must be God. Cat says, you love me, feed me, shelter me, care for me. I must be God. Now, Todd, why in the world are we talking so much about cats and on Easter too? Well, I hate to admit this, but when I was a kid, I had a cat. And I loved that cat. His name was Tui, and he was the coolest cat. He would come when you would call him. He loved to sit in your lap. He'd play ball with you all day long. Oh, I love that cat so very much. Well, one day I came home from school, and I found Tui in my driveway. He had been beaten to death. To this day, I think someone in my neighborhood had taken a baseball bat and killed my cat. And I was absolutely devastated. I don't think I've ever cried that hard before that day. Well, I buried Tui in my backyard, and over the years, my backyard became quite a cemetery full of fish and hamsters and dogs and cats. It was a reminder to me that life on this earth doesn't last forever. Now, honestly, to be truthful, I never really needed that reminder of all those pets in my backyard to remind me about death. You see, my oldest brother had passed away right before I was born of brain cancer. He was five years old. Every year, sometimes several times a year, we as a family would go and we would place flowers on Teddy's grave. And my mom and dad would always say, you know, one day, because of Jesus, I'm going to see Teddy again. And that's true, isn't it? Because of what we celebrate today, there's hope beyond the grave, death has been defeated, the grave has been conquered, and sin has lost its grip. So today we celebrate Easter, 
the day all Christians set aside to celebrate the resurrection of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Billions of people are celebrating this week. It's the most celebrated event in history. And it's more than just a nice idea. It's a historic fact. In fact, we date our calendars by the resurrection of Jesus. All of history is divided into AC and BC by one single event. The resurrection of Jesus is the cornerstone of all of Christianity. In 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 14 and verse 17, this is what the Bible says. If Christ has not been raised from death, then we have nothing to preach and you have nothing to believe. If Christ has not been raised, then your faith is a delusion and you are still lost in your sins. If Jesus didn't rise again from the dead, we have no hope. We have nothing to believe. I have nothing to preach about. If Jesus didn't rise again from the dead, then anything called Christianity is just a waste of time. There's no reason for any of us to be here if it didn't really happen. But it did happen. 1 Corinthians 15, 20 says, but the truth is, is that Christ has been raised from the dead. Friends, you can go to the tomb of Buddha, you can go to the tomb of Muhammad, or you can go to the tomb of any other religious leader and you will find their bodies still buried six feet underground. But you go to the tomb of Jesus and you will see exactly what Peter saw 2000 years ago. He is not here. He has risen as he said. But what difference does that make today? Well, friends, it makes a huge difference. Since Jesus rose from the grave almost 2000 years ago, the first thing I can promise you is this, you can live an abundant life on this earth. You know what I found to be true is that too many people aren't living the life that God really wanted them to live. They're not living life to the fullest because they refuse to go to God and release the control of their life over to him. I read a story about a man who carried brightly colored balloons with him everywhere he went. Oh, he enjoyed watching them float above his head. He took his colorful balloons with him wherever he went. Even at night, the balloons would float above the man as he slept. Well, one day he went to the state fair. He was having a great time. And while he was there, some people tried to buy his balloons, thinking he was a vendor. But of course, he wouldn't even sell one. At one of the booths, he filled in a ticket to see if he could win a trip, a free trip for an ocean cruise. And sure enough, two weeks later, he got a call informing him that he had won. Well, he started packing immediately. He was so excited. He was ready to go days before it was time to leave. On the morning of the big day, he called a taxi, had the driver take him to the dock. Now he had to go slowly because the balloons wouldn't all fit in the taxi and he had to hold some of them out the window. Well, at the dock, he unloaded his luggage, went aboard the ship and was welcomed by the officials who had planned his trip. They even had someone take his suitcases down to his cabin while he stayed up on deck. Well, the ship was crowded. Many people were aboard just to say goodbye to friends. Confetti, horns, streamers, and lots of balloons. He felt right at home. Well, cruise began and it was great. And he couldn't wait for dinner to come. Finally, when it was his time to go into the fancy restaurant and eat, he found it impossible to take his balloons into the restaurant with him. The passageway was too small. He couldn't get in. If he just released though a couple of the balloons, he could probably get himself in, but he was afraid to. He couldn't release any of them. So what did he do? He decided to have crackers and cheese on the upper deck. 
It was good. Maybe not as good as the chef's dinner, but it was good enough. And besides, he had all of his balloons. That night, the sunset was beautiful and it was exciting to walk along the deck, but it sure got cold. Sea air not only made him hungry, it made him tired as well. He asked one of the ship's crew where his room was and the crewman took him down a wide hallway and opened the door of his cabin. It was beautiful. They had given him one of the nicest rooms on the ship. He could see that the interior decorating was the best and the bed looked so inviting. Unfortunately, the door to the cabin was designed that he couldn't get all his balloons in without breaking some. Oh, he tried, but it just wouldn't work. Back on deck, he found some blankets and a deck chair. He tied the balloons around his wrist and the arm of the chair and he tried to sleep. The next morning, he was still tired. All that day, he ate crackers and cheese and that night he slept on deck again. The next morning, the balloon man received an engraved invitation from the captain of the ship. He had been invited to sit at the captain's table and enjoy the specialty of the world famous chef. He would prepare it especially for the balloon man. All that day, the man watched as the crew made preparations for the evening banquet. And at eight o'clock, the passengers began to go to the dining room. The man watched them go. Soon he could hear the murmur of voices, the sound of silverware and the clinking of glasses. The aroma of the food became even more enticing. He reached into his pocket and felt the engraved invitation. He knew there was a special place reserved for him at the captain's table. Then he looked up at his balloons. It was hard to do, but slowly, slowly, very slowly, he hadn't unclenched his hand for years. One at a time, he uncurled his fingers and one by one, the balloons began to drift away. And as he watched, the wind caught them and blew them out of sight. The man turned and walked down the passageway. That night, as a guest at the captain's table, he enjoyed the finest meal and the best companionship he had ever known. Todd, what in the world is the point of that story? Well, here it is. Are you hanging on to a handful of balloons that keep you from being close to Jesus? Are you holding on to a life that's less than what God would have you to live? Jesus says, I've come that you might have life and that you might have it to the full. We're talking about abundant life. Hebrews 12, one tells us to throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles us and let us fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith. Friends, we, we have to fix our eyes upon Jesus. He is the one who can help us. He is the one who can give us the strength. Well, let me go over to the big board, show you what I'm talking about. Let me show you. Listen, God wants you to give him your worries and he will give you peace, a peace that passes all understanding. Some of your balloons are worries, they're anxiety. You have all this scenario sickness in your head all the time and it's just exhausting you. Give those things over to the Lord and he will give you a peace that passes all understanding. Let me give you another one. God wants us to give him our willpower so he might give us the strength to overcome temptation and addictions and habits that are absolutely destroying us. Think about the things in your life that you wanna get control of and you're trying everything in your power and in your own strength to try to overcome those things and you're failing. Listen to me, if you could change your life, you would have already done it by now. 
Stop trying to ramp yourself up with a bunch of willpower and take on the strength that God can give you to actually overcome these things. Let me show you another one. God wants us to give him our feelings of loneliness and he promises to be a friend that sticks closer to us than a brother. During this pandemic, so many people have been so lonely. When you have Jesus in your life, he places the Holy Spirit inside of you. He will never leave you. He will never forsake you and he will help you. You will never be alone ever again. Let me show you another one. God wants to give him our life of selfishness and he'll give us a life of generosity. Listen, the kind of life that many people live when it's all about themselves and everything revolves around them, that's a very superficial and shallow life. But when you're generous, when you put the needs of other people ahead of yourself, that's where true life and true living comes from. That's where we really find the joy of what life is supposed to be all about. Let me give you another one. God wants us to hand over to him our sin and in exchange, he'll give us a life of freedom. The things that you've been holding on to, the things that you're afraid to let God have control over, those are the things that are holding you captive. You've got to let those things go and let God do what he wants to do in your life. Let me give you another one. God wants to give us, uh, God wants us to give him the emptiness that we feel inside. And in exchange, he wants to give us a life of purpose. Oh, you were made by God and you were made for God to have a relationship with him and nothing, no, nothing will ever satisfy you except for him. Friends, what are you holding on to today? And what is it that you need to let go of and let God take it over? Listen, many of my friends have let go of those things in their life and they have found true life and true living. Listen to their stories. We found out at five months pregnant that our um, baby girl, her heart stopped beating. I don't think that I leaned on God enough that night to get me through what was to come. My life was spiraling out of control. Oh, infidelity, sexual addiction, alcohol abuse, numerous affairs. Growing up without a dad kind of just that sort of uh, abandonment leaves a lot of anxiety. I just was always kind of waiting for people in my life to have a good enough reason to walk out. It was just the way that I lived. It was just how I related to the world. I found out that my husband was unfaithful and it just seemed like after that point, everything went downhill. Nothing I did was doing any good. I just, I couldn't handle it anymore. We felt a little hopeless a little bit depressed. Uh, it was heartbreaking. I was this anxious, angry teenager that just was uh, ready to explode at any moment. I'm worthless, I'm nothing, uh, nobody's ever gonna want you. What I've been missing was just that relationship with, with God and just asking God to rid me completely of who I was. There's only one thing that can get me through this and that is giving it to God and trying to let it go, as hard as that is. I'm so thankful that I'm not alone. He's really never left me. He's given me the strength to get through this. Without him, I couldn't do it. I've totally let go. Without this addiction, I wouldn't, I don't think I would know the grace of God. I, I, need, to, I need to let go of control. I don't, want to, I don't want this anymore. Very thankful that I don't have to deal with that or live in that or subject any of the people that I care about to that. 
There is hope on the other side of this. I genuinely believe that God has a reason and a purpose for everything. And even though it's still really sad, I trust God. I've been forgiven by the grace of God, and I'm very happy, very, very happy. What are the names of your balloons? What are the things that you're holding on to that are making your life miserable? Hand those things over to Jesus so you might enjoy the life that he always planned for you to live. All right, so because of the resurrection of Jesus, we can have an abundant life, right? Let me give you the second one. Because of the resurrection of Jesus, we can be forgiven for every stupid thing that we've ever done. Every one of us has said things and thought things or done things that are wrong. All of us have skeletons in our closet that we don't want anyone to know about. And many of us carry around a bag of guilt and sin and shame with us everywhere we go. It's always there in the back of our mind, reminding us what a mess we've become. I've got great news for you today. God knows all about your sin and he still loves you and he's still reaching out to you to forgive you and give you a do-over in life. I read about a story about a young man who sat alone on a bus as it drove down the road, staring out the window. Occasionally, he would look away and you could see the anxiety that was written all over his face. Well, an elderly woman sat across from the aisle of the man and she could see that something was deeply troubling him. So she scooted across the aisle and she asked permission to sit next to him. Well, after a few moments of small talk, he just blurted out, I, I've been in prison for two years. I, I just got out this morning and I'm going home. Well, his words tumbled out as he told her he was raised in a poor but proud family and how his crime had, had brought his family shame and, and heartbreak. In the whole two years, he had not heard from them. He knew they were too poor to travel the distance to where he had been in prison. And his parents probably felt too uneducated to write to him. He had stopped writing them when no answers came back. Well, three weeks before his release, he desperately wrote one more letter to his family. He told them how sorry he was for disappointing them and asked for their forgiveness. He went on to explain about being released from prison and that he would take the bus to his hometown, the one that goes right by the front yard where his parents still live. His letter, he said he would understand if they wouldn't forgive him. He wanted to make it easy for them. And so he asked them to give him a signal that he could see from the bus. If they had forgiven him and they wanted him to come back home, they would tie a simple white ribbon on the old tree that stood in the front yard. Now, if the signal wasn't there, if the ribbon wasn't there, he would just stay on the bus and he would leave town and he would be out of their lives forever. Well, as the bus neared his street, the young man became more and more anxious to the point he was afraid to look out the window because he was so sure there would be no ribbon. The bus traveled a few more blocks and then she saw the tree. She gently touched the young man's shoulder, choking back tears. She said, look, Oh, look, the whole tree is covered with white ribbons. As excited as that family was to see their lost son, it doesn't compare to how excited God gets when one of his children comes home. Jesus said in Luke chapter 15, verse 10, I tell you, there is rejoicing in the presence of angels of God over one sinner who repents. Listen to me, friends. All heaven shuts down when a person finally comes home. A party is thrown in heaven. 
Do you realize there was a day when there was a cosmic celebration in heaven, when there was a party over you? All of heaven took time out to celebrate you coming home. A table was wheeled out. Can you imagine? And above the table was a banner with your name on it. See, God knows you by your name. They're rejoicing because your eternal destination has made a radical 180. In Isaiah chapter one, verse 18, the Bible says, come now, let us reason together. Though your sins are like scarlet, they shall be as white as snow. Though they are red like crimson, they shall be like wool. Some people unfortunately think they've got to get cleaned up to come to God, but the opposite is actually true. We we come to God with our lives that are tattered and scarred and he erases the past and he wipes the slate clean. Listen to this verse, Psalm 103, verse 12. He has taken our sins away from us as far as the east is from the west. He remembers our sin no more. And here's here's the great news I've got for you. God's forgiveness, it's a prayer away. The Bible says, if you confess your sins, our God is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. What's that mean, purify us from all unrighteousness? It simply means this, he wipes your slate clean. So because of the resurrection of Jesus, we can be forgiven for every stupid thing we've ever done. Let me give you one more. Because of the resurrection of Jesus, if we put our faith and our trust in him, then we have a home in heaven waiting for us when we die. Because of Jesus's death, burial and resurrection, Death for the Christian is nothing more than a transfer from this life into eternal life. 1 Corinthians 15 verse 54 says this, death has been swallowed up in victory. Where, O oh, death is your victory? Where, O oh, death is your sting? Thanks be to God, he gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. There, there was a cartoon with the picture of a woman bringing flowers to the cemetery and she comes to her husband's tombstone which read something like R.J. Harwell, born 1935, gave up smoking 1964, gave up alcohol 1975, gave up red meat 1983, gave up fried foods 1990, started walking regularly 1992, died anyway 1998. Friends, We can't stop death, no matter how hard we try. But because of what Jesus did on the cross, we no longer have to fear death. There was a woman who had been diagnosed with a terminal illness and she had been given three months to live. So as she was getting her things in order, she contacted her pastor, had a meeting with him over at his office to discuss certain aspects of her final wishes. The woman requested to be buried with her favorite Bible. Well, when they were finishing up their little meeting, the woman suddenly remembered something very important to her. She said, there's one more thing, and this is very important. I wanna be buried with a fork in my right hand. Well, the pastor stood looking at this woman, not knowing quite what to say, so the woman explained. In all my years of attending church socials and potluck dinners, I always remember that when the dishes of the main course were being cleared, someone would inevitably lean over and say, keep the fork. 
It was my favorite part because I knew that something better was coming, like velvety chocolate cake or deep dish apple pie. Something wonderful was coming. I just want people to see me there in that casket with a fork in my hand, and I want them to wonder, what's with the fork? Then I want you to tell them, keep your fork. The best is yet to come. Friends, heaven is an amazing place where we will dwell in the presence of God forever. And here's the great news. It doesn't cost us anything. Revelation chapter 21, verse six, the Bible says this, God has paid for it all. It says the waters of life come without cost. So does everything else in heaven, including your mansion. And here's the great thing about the mansion that he's preparing for you in heaven. There's no down payment for it. There's no realtor fees. There's no closing costs. There's no mortgage payments. There's no property tax. There's no utility bills. And there's no fear of foreclosure. Doesn't cost you a thing. But it did cost God everything. Never forget that Jesus paid the ultimate price for our sin by dying on the cross for our sin and for our shame. He's the one who cried out from the cross, Tadalastai, paid in full. He paid in full the sin debt that we owed a holy God. And he's extending to you an invitation to sit at his table and eat at his banquet. So let me ask you again, what are you holding on to that you need to let go of? You say, Todd, I'm interested. I would like to have an abundant life. I'd like to be forgiven for all the stupid things that I've done. And I sure would like to go to heaven when I die. How can I be sure that's true of me? Friends, asking Jesus in your life is as easy as ABC or one, two, three. Number one, you admit that you're a sinner. You say, I've said things, I've done things, I've thought things that are wrong. You say, I don't wanna live that way anymore. The Bible says we must repent of our sin. That means you go a different direction. You don't wanna live for those things anymore. You wanna live for God. You wanna please him in everything that you say and in everything that you do. Now, the first question you ask yourself is, do you know that you're a sinner? Because Romans 3.23 says, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. All of us have blown it. So the first thing is, are you willing to admit that you're a sinner and do you wanna turn away from that sin? And then B, number two, it stands for believe. You gotta believe some things. You gotta believe that Jesus is God's son, that he died on a cross for your sins and that he rose again from the dead. Now, the Bible says that even the demons believe that to be true and they shudder with fear. And I don't think you and I are gonna see any demons in heaven, are we? So it's not enough just to believe certain facts about the Lord, there's a third step as well. You gotta commit your life over to him. Everything you are, everything you hope to be, you say, I wanna live for you. I love you, I wanna follow you. I mean, I think about it, friends, nobody's ever died for me before. No one's ever sacrificed their life for me before. No one's ever risen again from the grave for me. Nobody believes in me the way God believes in me. Nobody sees things in me the way God sees things in me. So you commit your life to him. It's the attitude of your heart that says, everything that I am and everything I hope to be, I give it over to him. So that's the question, friends. What do you wanna live for? Who do you wanna live for? You wanna keep living for yourself or do you wanna live for the Lord? Now, if you say, you know what, I'm ready. I'm ready to make this decision. I'm ready to cross the line of faith. I'm ready to trust Jesus to be the leader and the forgiver of my life. Well, then you need to call us 
or you need to text us right now. 505-922-9200. And don't delay. Don't put this off. One of the things that we've been learning the last few weeks in our church is that life is but a mist. In the blink of an eye, 10 years goes by, and before you know it, your whole life has gone by. This isn't something you put off, friends. It's Easter. It's Easter. God sent his son for you. He lived a perfect, sinless life, died on a cross, rose again from the dead for you. Now it's your turn. He's extending his hand of friendship to you. Will you take his hand? 505. 922-9200. You call that, you text it. You say, what's going to happen? A pastor will respond. They'll answer that phone call. They'll respond to your text message and they will help you develop your new relationship with Jesus Christ. They'll have a real conversation about a real God who really does love you. So would you call us? Would you text us? 505-922-9200. Have a happy Easter.